Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up, you'll be hearing from Robert Jeffress from the radio program Pathway to Victory and First Baptist Church of Dallas, bringing insight into the topic of courage and how it is helpful in overcoming the challenges we encounter. And while courage can work within, clutter can weigh us down from without. Kathy Lipp paints a picture of a decluttered home and explores biblically why that's important to have. Plus, David Eubank has military training. He and his family are involved in missionary work in dangerous parts of the world through Free Burma Rangers. Chris Sinclair has directed a documentary on their ministry. You'll be hearing his perspective. And on this edition of The Intersection, Ace Collins is known for his books, which delve into Christmas songs and traditions, but he has written a wide variety of books, fiction and nonfiction, including a series involving a Christian woman whose life is full of mystery and adventure. Find out more ahead. Finally, Marie Cook and her husband Tim are the co-founders of Nathaniel's Hope, which reaches out to special needs children and their families in honor of their son who passed away when he was quite young. You can find out more about the ministry, their new book, and their new partnership with the Tim Tebow Foundation coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Robert Jeffress is the senior pastor of the large First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, and the Bible teacher on the radio and television ministry of Pathway to Victory. In his latest book, Courageous, 10 Strategies for Thriving in a Hostile World, he highlights ways in which Christians can depend on God and grow in courage in the midst of troubled times. Here now is Robert Jeffress. You know, the subtitle of my book, Courageous, really says it all. It's 10 Strategies for Thriving not surviving, but thriving in a hostile world. Jesus wants us to do more than just survive. You know, my old professor, the late Howard Hendricks, used to say, too many Christians walk around uh, with an expression on their face that would make a great cover photo for the Book of Lamentations. You know, there's just a lot of Christians with this sour, loser disposition, you know, and they think, oh, I'm just trying to survive it until I make it to heaven. You know, it's kind of like, you know, they're trying to run a race and they're crawling over the finish line with their hands outstretched, just hoping they can make it. That's not how God meant for us to live life. You know, in Hebrews 12, it says life is like a foot race. And the writer says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross. Uh, Jesus didn't go to the uh, cross uh, uh, begrudgingly. He went triumphantly. And uh, we're to face life's challenges triumphantly because we know that in the end we win because Jesus wins. And so this book isn't about just negatively trying to eke out a survival. It's about how we can thrive as God intended us to with great joy. And we're not going to always be happy in every situation, but joy is the calm confidence that God's in control. In fact, Bob, I got a letter just last week from a woman who had read this first chapter in my book, Courageous, Don't Panic. And that very week, she's a young mother, got word that she had cancer and maybe only three or four months to live. And she said, my first uh, impulse was to panic. But I remembered what I read in that chapter about God's promise to be with me, not to panic, but to take courage. Well, another strategy that you talk about in the book, Courageous, is to take inventory. Now, what do we need to be taking inventory of as you see it? 
remember, these are survival tactics that survivalists tell us uh, we need to use. And many times, if you're in a threatening situation, you need to look at the available resources. In fact, the story that I tell to open up that chapter is the well-known story of Apollo 13 that Ron Howard turned into that great movie. And you remember the astronauts on board had a catastrophe, and they didn't have the proper air filter they needed to get rid of the carbon dioxide so all they could do is use what they had on board. I think it was a bungee cord, uh, two plastic bags, a couple of old socks, and they developed their own contraption in order to survive that threatening situation. Well, as we face challenges, we need to look at, okay, what has God provided us with? Fortunately, he's given us more than bungee cords and old socks. He's given us two resources that I talk about. First of all, the armor of God. We know that from Ephesians 6, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. And I talk about those, but there's a second resource that many Christians aren't aware of, and that is the people of God. God never intended for us to go through these challenges that overwhelm us by ourselves. That's why he desires that every believer be a part of a body of believers, a church that can offer them strength when they go through challenges. You know, Solomon said two are better than one, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And when you unite with other Christians, you don't have to face those challenges of life by yourself. And one of the greatest and unrealized uh, resources that God has given us is the strength that comes from the body of Christ. Robert Jeffress here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website ptv.org. Next up, it's Kathy Lipp. She is the author of the book, The Clutter-Free Home, Making Room for Your Life. With some insight about why it's important to have a decluttered home explored from a biblical perspective, this is Kathy Lipp. I really think that clutter comes down to three spiritual issues. It's why we keep stuff is either fear. What if I need it someday? And especially if we had depression era grandparents or parents who kept every little piece of string or ball of yarn, we know, you know, it, it was almost a sin to give something up. But what we're really doing is living in fear of provision, you know, that hmm. God isn't enough, that we aren't enough, that we won't have enough. And then there's the guilt. You know, so-and-so gave it to me. My great aunt Edna gave this to me. So I need to keep it till both of us are dead. And then finally, um, shame. I spent so much money on it. I can never give it away. And what I've really come to understand through my own life is finding out that sometimes we're just supposed to have possessions for a little while. Sometimes they just are in our hands for a bit, but we're actually supposed to pass them on to others. And that is really what the community of Christ looks like, is not living mm. in abundance, but sharing our abundance with others. So what do you think are the components of a clutter-free home? I'm sure it's different for different people, but what are some of the general principles? Well, I think one of the things is really just staying on top of it and not doing not so much all or nothing thinking like I'm going to go declutter the kitchen today. Like that's the most depressing sentence I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. But really saying, you know what, I'm going to stop bringing clutter in. And I am going to declutter for 15 minutes so that I can make progress in one direction. Mm. 
And so it's just about those little steps of progress and building those habits into your life. And I think this is the most important thing, keeping clutter from coming in from the first in the first place, staying out of that tar, you know, dollar target aisle, staying out of the dollar store if you just can't control yourself, putting limits on what you bring into your home, because everything that you get out of your home, you never have to touch again. And that is what makes for a clutter-free home. And something you said, I wanted you to elaborate just a bit when you talk about setting, say, a 15-minute period of time aside and then being successful in that little chunk of time. It sounds like that getting a win in this whole journey is, is really important. Oh, I love that you picked up on that, Bob, because here's what I believe in time boxing and space boxing. So it's 15 minutes where you just focus on. So that's the time boxing 15 minutes. I'm going to do as much as I can, because you know what our problem with clutter is we get tired of making decisions. And so yeah, we can make 15 minutes of hard decisions, but after that, you start to get worn out. And then space boxing, I'm just going to concentrate on this one drawer or this one shelf or this one counter. I'm not going to do the whole room. I'm going to do this one space and it's going to be clear and clutter free and functional. And when I see that, I'm going to want that for the rest of the room. So it's time boxing and space boxing. You actually talk about how to keep things relatively clutter free, even with the presence of kids who can perhaps take you in another direction. Right, right. So this is where it becomes really important to not let clutter uh, cross your threshold. So with them being young adults now, we don't have as much that we're dealing with now. But when they were teenagers and I would pick them up from school, I would have a garbage can and a recycling can in my car and a folder. So guys, anything you need me to sign, do, pay, whatever, you put it in that folder and I'll make sure I take care of it. I want you to empty out your backpacks now, any garbage, any recycling, anything that does not belong in the house, get it done now. And then we can throw that garbage away at the next gas station. We can take the recycling in and then I've got my work assignments from my kids of all the things that they needed from me. And it just, what it is, it's putting systems in place and also realizing it's not all up to mom. We all need to be in a place where we can uh, take responsibility because here's the thing, Bob, we are unleashing these kids on the world and we need to teach them how to deal with their clutter before they go off to college, before they get married. We need to give them systems. So it's important that we train them up at the same time we're trying to keep our houses clutter free. Kathy Lip here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to her website. It's Kathy Lip, K-A-T-H-I-L-I-P-P dot com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, Chris Sinclair is the director of a new documentary film called Free Burma Rangers. It is about David Eubank and his family. He has military training, and they're involved in missionary work in dangerous parts of the world. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Chris Sinclair. The work started in uh, Burma, responded in the mid-90s to a major offensive by people fleeing the war towards the Thai border. He had a box of medicine, thought he uh, the gunshots weren't a problem. He was going to run towards where people needed help, and he did what he could. 
he often quotes, uh, you know, that responsibility is the ability to respond. And so that's what he and his wife did. And others joined him locally who had more means and spoke the language. And that turned into a movement. And for the last 15, 20, 25 years, they've been treating uh, the wounded, uh, creating relief teams and providing help and hope and, and advocacy through video and photo to get the news out about what's going on in in Burma, now known as Myanmar, which is uh, to this day the world's longest running civil war. And then a phone call from a friend said, uh, would you help uh, replicate some of what you're doing in Burma? We have people who need help in the Middle East. And so he was initially invited to the Kurdish region of northern Iraq and began helping people there. And that uh, expanded uh, to other parts of Iraq and uh, Syria. And there's there's been other countries that they've uh, perf- uh, visited and tried to help people in conflict as well. But uh, that's that's the overall trajectory and mission of what they do. What have you found as you observed Dave, David Eubank and as you followed him into, as the subtitle suggests, the front lines? What are, what are some of his biggest challenges? Oh, I, I think that would be a better question for him to answer. Um, <laughs> I think some of, you know, the challenges range um, given the situation, but I think um, you need to, for me, myself, I needed to remain close to God in prayer through all things and recognize uh, I don't want to miss what God might want me to record. I, and so I think um, I think that's one of the, the most important things that I needed to remind myself. Um, the, se- the second thing, it took eight years to make this film, and there were a lot of times where um, I wanted to give up, where I thought it might be too hard, where I thought the story was this way and then things don't work out. Um, and it changed. You know, originally we were going to make a film about Burma, but it ended up being 60 percent of, uh, of the content comes from Iraq. And I, I didn't even go to Iraq. And so and there are other times where we wondered of uh, the time or the resources to, to get it done as well. And, you know, God's timing is over all things. And I think sometimes, you know, you remind your God reminds you that he's in control of a lot more than you think you are. So just trust him for the timing. And, um, and so we've walked away just thanking God. In fact, that's, that's one of the last lines of the film is as Dave looks back at all that, that God had did. He said, you know, the overwhelming, uh, word that comes to my mind as I, as I consider what God did is thank you, Mm -hmm. uh, is a sense of gratitude. Um, and so I'm just grateful that this film is done and that we can share it with the world. So, and, and I was going to ask you about the timing. It took eight years to make. What do you think as far as the timing of this release, February of 2020? Is there perhaps something about the film that causes it to speak very powerfully to the era in which we're living today? Mm. Yes, I think some of the one of the most powerful things that a documentary can do is um, make you see the world differently than you might have thought. Uh, this goes beyond the typical headlines of both the region. It goes beyond the typical frameworks that people think about uh, faith or following God. I think this will be an opportunity to open up uh, the conversation in a much more nuanced way that will allow people to appreciate in a very new way. Uh, how God is at work. Chris Sinclair here on The Intersection. Find out more about the film by going to fbrmovie.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info 
or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, there's a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center. You can also subscribe through iTunes. Plus, two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Learn more when you visit the Meeting House homepage. Ace Collins is the author of a number of fiction and nonfiction books. In a recent conversation, he shared about the concept of his mystery adventure series in the President's Service and the most recent installment, The Trojan Horse. In our conversation, he explored the concepts, characters, and the integration of a Christian worldview into the plots. From that conversation, this is Ace Collins now. I would say that not only the central character in this no- this series of novels is someone by the name of Helen Meeker, but I think just based on what you've told me, Ace, that this lady is also someone whom you could regard as, say, the moral and even spiritual center of this series of novels. She is someone who is a Christian believer, and mm-hmm. you no doubt really give some insight into how she, as a believer, sees and interacts with the world. That's something we all can evaluate in well, our own lives. So how does Helen Meeker oh, see she, the world? Yes. <laughs> well, she's, you know, there, there's, there have been reviews that have, have described her as a, as a female James Bond with morals, okay? All she right. has that kind of, of, of punch to her in World War II. But what you see is somebody who is involved in war. There are times when she has to kill or be killed. She is a Christian. The faith is there, but the faith is challenged every time she has to do something where she wonders. And she, there are times when she burns out. She wants to give up. She wants to run away. Um, and so I think she's very real. I think she's all of us. I, I think she is not this... You know, if you're expecting me to create a character that is never going to sit there and say, why? Or a character who's never going to have doubts. That's not what this character is. This character is just like all of us. This character, when she is, there are times she gets tired. There's times she gets weary. There are times that she's doing things in, in, in war, and she's so tired of the death. There's a point in the novel we're talking about where she finds out a German undercover, well, a German college student who's really one of the ones who exposed Auschwitz and, and others in uh, World War II through the White Rose Paper. Sophie Scholl I wrote about her in a book called Extraordinary Women of Faith several years ago, and she was executed by the Nazis. And when, when Helen finds out that this remarkable woman was executed, she questions, is it really worth it? I mean, is it just, it, it's like she gets decked by a blow from Joe Lewis and, and and can't get up. So you're looking at characters who, who, in the midst of being heroic and Wonder Woman and without the costumes and without the superpowers, but you're still looking at these people constantly having their faith challenged, their their viewpoint challenged, their point of view challenged. At times they get so angry they just they want to 
to do something that they know would take them over the edge. And um, in this particular novel, too, we're dealing with a German hit woman. We find out in, in early on the pages that, and this is not an exaggeration, the, the, the Nazis were working. Uh, German, DNA was essentially discovered in the 1890s. I didn't call it that by German scientists. And I, I took it ahead where the Germans were working, you know, they were trying to actually create the perfect Aryan person. I, so I had, they had scientists doing all kinds of genetic research on animals and everything else. And in this particular book, we have a scientist who believes he has found, found the soul. And the soul is not on in our heart or in our mind. The soul is on our D, in our DNA. And he has found a way to remove the DNA element of the soul. And so the hit woman for the Nazis, who's after our, our good characters, believes she doesn't have a soul. She believes it's been removed. Start thinking about the dynamics of an individual without a soul. You know, you sit there and you look at people who are corrupt, and you, and you see people and you say, well, they just don't really have a soul. But what if you could actually remove a soul? What would that what would that do to a soldier or a politician or someone else? And that's probably the of all of the human traffic and everything else that is going on in this novel hmm. and the next wow. novel. That is probably the scariest hmm. element is to look at a, a woman named Joan Fisher who has no life in her eyes and those dark, beautiful blue eyes and looks at people and has no soul. And so and, and without a soul there is no value in life, including her own. And how incredible a killing machine is a person who therefore sees no value even in her own life, much less anyone else's. And that's, you know, that's, that's going into a moral area that is interesting to explore in this book as well. Ace Collins here on The Intersection. Find out more by visiting the website acecollins.com. Well, I had the opportunity recently to talk with Marie Cook. She is the co-founder with husband Tim of Nathaniel's Hope, named after their son Nathaniel, who died at an early age. She shared about their ministry, reaching out to special needs children and their families. She also discussed the book they co-wrote called Hope Lives, Little Life, Big Purpose, and shared about their participation in the new Shine On initiative with the Tim Tebow Foundation. From that conversation, this is Marie Cook. 23 years ago, our life was completely rocked, turned upside down uh, when God brought this little boy into our life named Nathaniel, who was born, um, you know, prematurely and um, spent a lot of uh, his life fighting for his life. You know, when he was first born, we spent about three months fighting for his life in a hospital and then came home and um, our nursery became like a hospital room and we became uh, caregivers for, for 24 seven. Um, he had an undiagnosed syndrome and we tried to get a lot of answers, didn't have a lot of answers, but had a lot of um, opportunities, um, you know, to engage in his health care. Um, he had an undiagnosed syndrome and um, he kind of brought us into the whole world of disability that to be honest, we weren't prepared to be a part of, didn't want to be a part of. And, um, we kind of fought for his life for four and a half years. And as you said, he had a change of address and moved from earth to heaven. And 
after that happened, we just, you know, felt like God said, this is not the end, it's the beginning. And I want you to steward this journey that you were on. And there's a, we, he brought us into this community of amazing families that are out there that um, just need so much love and support um, on their journeys with kids with special needs. And so that's how we birthed Nathaniel's hope uh, through that journey, all because of a little boy named Nathaniel who could never walk or talk or eat with his mouth, but is impacting a lot of lives today. How did you see God really establish a ministry for the two of you? You know, we just, um, as we saw the need, we knew that we couldn't step away from this community, and we began to ask God, what can we do? And we felt like, um, you know, there's there's social services out there, not nearly enough, but we felt like the Christian community had a responsibility and opportunity to lead the way. You know, we shouldn't be following, we should lead the way. So we very much felt like, you know, we were uh, called to help the church be able to help this community. Because if we tried to do it ourselves, it'd be addition. But if we could empower the local church, we can get multiplication. When you understand that only uh, 10% of people impacted by disability are even going to church, and it's oftentimes because we don't have accommodations, and it's just difficult, you know, to... um, to come in and and oftentimes as well um you know families have to fight for everything they have to fight insurance companies they have to fight school systems you know for rights for their children and unfortunately sometimes they feel that like they have to fight the church as well and and we felt like there shouldn't be and we want to try and provide a way that we could be a bridge to the church to provide uh, tools and resources to resource a church to be able to do what they wanted to do and um, through that, you know, through our own experience, one of the things that we saw was so difficult was to get respite care. Like, to, to, you know, we could never really go out or get a break because our child's care was so complex. Everybody was kind of afraid of him. We couldn't call the girl down the street to babysit him. And um, and we thought that this was maybe um, an opportunity for the church to be able to rally around families and kind of give them that cup of cold water by giving them a break. Um, so as we were starting, we, we knew respite was going to be a big part of it. And we uh, that was the first program that we started was a respite care program called Buddy Break, uh, a way to empower churches to take care of kids in a fun way for free to give the caregivers a break. And um, as we saw that, we realized that not only did that um give kids a place to belong and give caregivers a much needed break. We've had story upon story of, of moms just going in their car and going to sleep for three hours because they can never sleep at night. A lot of single moms uh, out there, um, a great way to, for a church to reach a community. But um, as a church wants to open up their arms and welcome kids with disabilities in, you know, a lot of times you think, how am I going to get my volunteers? It's a great way to train volunteers as well. And so um, we just saw that this could be a win-win, you know, for the special needs community as well as the local church to kind of uh, focus on uh, those two communities. Marie Cook here on The Intersection. Find out more by visiting the website nathanielshope.org. Well, we are about to wrap up this edition of The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Conversations from The Meeting House program can be found through the Faith Radio website, faithradio.org. Check out the programming section. You can also go to meetinghouseonline.info and find conversations through the Faith Radio app. Conversations are also available through a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. 
Learn more when you visit the Meeting House homepage. You can also find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can listen to or download conversations from the Meeting House program with guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center as well. Plus, there are two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page and connect with video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.